Well, good morning. It's good to see my Crossview Church family in this new year, 2021. I'd also like to say uh, Happy New Year and thank you for joining us to those online, especially our friends at New Lisbon Correctional Center. We're glad you're with us this morning via video. I want to begin 2021 at Crossview Church with a question for all of us. The question I'd like to begin with is, is the hand of God on your life? Is the hand of God on your life? And you might be thinking, I don't know totally what that means, and that's okay. I don't think any of us know exactly fully what that means. But just think about that. Is the hand of God on your life? Doesn't that sound appealing? Doesn't it sound like something you'd want? The hand of God to be on your life. The hand of the one who is all-knowing, all-powerful, who holds everything together, who controls everything in the universe, his hand on your life. Wouldn't that be a good thing? Now, I just want to clarify, I'm not saying in that question, are you a Christian? That's not the question I'm talking about. That's a critical, critical thing, to be a Christian. It's the Bible tells us that to become a Christian doesn't mean you grow up in a church home and that doesn't make you a Christian. Going to a church service and participating in some sort of uh, ritual as part of service doesn't make you a Christian. To be a Christian, you have to invite Jesus into your life by doing two things, repenting and believing. That's what the Bible tells us. That's how you become a Christian, that you repent, which means you turn from your sin and you turn to God and you believe, which means not just an intellectual, I believe Jesus existed and he went to the cross for me. It's a belief with your whole heart where you take yourself off the throne of your life and you place Jesus there and you say, I trust what you did on the cross to pay for my sin. I trust in who you are as the son of God and you live your life for him. That's a critical, critical thing. And if you've never done that, you should do that today. Because not only does that give you a new life in today's here and now, but the Bible tells us what you do with that decision will determine where you spend eternity once this life is done. Whether you spend eternity forever with Christ in heaven or separated from him in hell, which is the worst thing a human being can experience. So what you do with that decision is really, really critical. As critical and foundational as that decision is, that's not what I'm talking about today. This is different. I'm talking today to those who've made that decision, and I'm asking you the question, is the hand of God on your life? And what I want to do this morning is to share three things that allows the hand of God to be upon your life. And you can walk that out in a really powerful way. So we're beginning a new series called Defining Moments, where we are looking at some passages that will help us as we start a new year to define who we are as God's people. And so I invite you to open your Bible to the book of Ezra, if you have it, or turn on your Bible to the book of Ezra. If you have a paper Bible, uh, Ezra is in the Old Testament about a quarter way through. Go past 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, and then you'll come to Ezra. If you hit Psalms or Isaiah, you've gone too far, uh, back it up. Ezra chapter 7, I'm going to be focusing on the first 10 verses this morning. But as we dive in, I want to give you a little background of what's happening here. So in Ezra 1 to 6, God's people, the people of Israel, were taken into captivity. They were living in Jerusalem. God sent prophets and said, if you continue to blow me off, 
You're going to face my judgment in the form of being taken over by another country, a war. Sure enough, in 587 BC, Babylon came and took the people of God, the people of Israel. They attacked Jerusalem. They took them all captive. So now the people of God were living in captivity in Babylon under a very anti-God rulership, and they lived in that place. 48 years later, Persia came and invaded Babylon, and so now the ownership was shifted to Persia, and Persia is holding the people of God in captivity. And all of a sudden, God breaks through the king of Persia's heart, a man named Artaxerxes, and allows the people of Israel to go back to Jerusalem, those that want to, and rebuild the temple of God. It's astounding that he and who he was and his evil and, and ways would allow this to happen, but God moved and that happened. So Ezra 1 to 6, a group of people under the leadership of a man named Zerubbabel went back to rebuild the temple, which is a place of worship. It's more than just a building. It was where God resided in their minds. It was something that was deeply uh, special to the people of God, and they were excited, and so some went back, and then there were 60 years between chapter 6 and chapter 7. So 60 years took place, and now this guy, Ezra, comes on the scene in Ezra chapter 7. So let's look at verses 1 to 10. It says, after these events, during the reign of King Artaxerxes of Persia, Ezra, now it starts to talk about Ezra. It's going to go through his ancestry so we get an idea of who he was. This is what's important to the people in this time and culture. Ezra, Sariah's son, Azariah's son, Hilkiah's son, Shalom's son, Zadok's son, Ahitub's son, Amariah's son, Azariah's son, Mariah's son, Zariah's son, Uzi's son, Buki's son, Abishua's son, Phineas's son, Eleazar's son, and the chief priest, Aaron's son. In the original Hebrew, basically, what all that is saying is, yeah, that Ezra dude. It wasn't funny in first service either. I have to work on my jokes. <laughs> Lineage and ancestry was a huge part of this culture. It, was, it meant the world to them. It was uh, Genealogies were extremely important. And Ezra's name means help. That's what it means. And so the people of God find themselves in a position where now they can go back and rebuild their temple. They need help. And God brings help, Ezra, on the scene. And his heritage speaks to who God is as we look at what some of these names here in this list mean. Sariah means prince of the Lord. Azariah means God has helped and is faithful. Hilkiah means the Lord is my portion. Shalom means God is my peace. Zadok means God is my righteousness. Uzi means God is my strength. Buki means the vessel of the Lord. Eleazar means the Lord has helped us. And Aaron means God is our light. You see, when the people of God were facing something they didn't think they could get through, when they were extremely depressed, when they were full of anxieties, God reminded them through their names who he is. And it brought great encouragement as they remember who the God is that they serve. So beyond this amazing heritage that Ezra brings on the scene, we see that God shows us there's something very unique about Ezra, even beyond his heritage and what we see here. Let's continue on. This guy Ezra, he came up from Babylon. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses, which the Lord 
God of Israel had given. The king had granted him everything he requested because the hand of the Lord his God was on him. Some of the Israelites, priests, Levites, singers, gatekeepers, and temple servants accompanied him to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month during the seventh year of the king. He began the journey from Babylon on the first day of the first month and arrived in Jerusalem four months later, the first day of the fifth month, since the gracious hand of his God was on him. Now Ezra had determined in his heart to study the law of the Lord, to obey it and teach its statutes and ordinances in Israel. We see that there is this trait that Ezra has that's very unique, that stands above all the other traits. There's something special about this guy named Help that God is bringing on the scene in a critical time for his people. Look at verse 6 again. Which the law of the Lord God of Israel has given, the king had granted him everything he requested. Why? Because the hand of his Lord was on him. Flip over to the end of this chapter in verse 27 to 28. This is Ezra giving a benediction, a blessing. He's writing this himself. He said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who has put it into the king's mind, this evil king's mind, to glorify the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, and who has shown favor to me before the king, his counselors, and his powerful officials. So I took courage. Why? Because I was strengthened by the hand of the Lord my God. Wouldn't that be a good thing to be strengthened by the hand of the Lord your God? Look at verse 9. At the end of verse 9, it says, He arrived in Jerusalem on the first day of the fifth month since the gracious hand, or some translations have the good hand of his God was upon him. This special unique thing that Ezra had was that the hand of his God was upon him. The hand of the Lord God Almighty rested upon him. This was stood out above all other traits, that he had this hand of grace, this hand of goodness, this hand of power, this hand of favor, this hand of prophetic truth to speak to the people of God all on his life. What does this mean? to have the hand of God on your life. It means that you are chosen. It means that you have been called by God for a reason. It means that you are empowered to carry out the calling and identity God has placed upon you as his child. It means that you have divine approval before all enemies. The hand of the Lord is upon him. At Crossview Church, we talk a lot about loving God and loving others and serving the world. That's our mission, to love God, love others, and serve the world. When the hand of God is upon your life, the natural overflow is to love God, to love others, and to serve the world. So then we see that God touches the heart and mind of this evil king, Artaxerxes, who would have nothing to do with these Jewish people's religion, but God put upon him to allow the people to go back and build this temple and restore what was taken. Why? Because the hand of God was on Ezra's life. See, when the hand of God is on your life, it changes the world around you. It changes things. It makes a difference. If you want to be an effective Christian, if you want to make a difference in the world, you must have the hand of God upon your life. 
which leads to a very important question. How do we get that? How does this happen? How do we get the hand of God on our lives? And that's what I want to spend the rest of my time looking at. Look at verse 10. The very first word, you see where it says now? Some translations say for, some translations say because. Now Ezra determined in his heart to do three things. Study the law of the Lord, obey it, and teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. That word now is a key, key word. In fact, the Hebrew word is key. That's how you pronounce it. It's key. And what it is, it's a word that biblical authors use to say, here's the results of. So you look at what happened before that, verse 9, it says, since the gracious hand of his God was on him. Why? Because for Ezra had determined in his heart to study the law of the Lord, to obey it, and teach its statutes. If you want to know why the hand of God was on Ezra's life, it is because he determined in his heart to study the law of the Lord, to obey it, and to teach it to all that were in his sphere of influence. That's why the hand of the God was on his life. That's why this hand of Almighty God rested upon him. And notice that it says in verse 10 that he determined in his heart. This was a life commitment. This wasn't some just empty wish. This wasn't some just empty promise. This wasn't even just a New Year's resolution. It was stronger than that. He determined in his life would be marked and known as a person who studied the law of the Lord, who learned it, who would obey it, who lived it, and who would teach others, pass it along. He was making his life known to learn it, live it, and pass it on. Learn God's word, live God's word, pass on God's word. That was what caused the hand of the God to be upon Ezra's life. His heart determination to do those three things. He committed in his heart to learn the word of God, to live the word of God, and to pass on the word of God. And so I want to look at all three of these so that we can become people who have the hand of God upon our lives. First, Ezra learned the word of God. He committed to studying the law of the Lord, which in Ezra days, Ezra's day when he wrote this was the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. He committed to learning those things, and we can apply it to us to mean the whole authoritative word of God. He made a soul commitment. The word to study there actually means to seek. You see, this wasn't an academic exercise. He didn't study God's word to get information so that he can have an ammunition full of little tidbits to throw when he goes to church. This wasn't to gain information. It means Ezra made a heart decision to know God by studying God's word. Ezra wanted to know who God is. He wanted to know him. He wanted to know how God thinks, how God acts, what is in his heart, how he moves. He wanted to know God. That's why he made a point to study God's word. Ezra didn't study God's word to win debates or to sound impressive when he went to church. He wanted to know God. He wanted to know God with his whole being. With his whole being, he wanted to know who God is. Do you want to know God? Do you want to know who he is? He's not talking about just attending church or doing the religious check in the box. He's talking about a hunger, a thirst to know God in his ways, 
That's what Ezra was about. That's why he did these things. I'm asking you, as your pastor, to make a commitment in 2021 to know God through studying his word. You see, sometimes we think that we can get to know God by not diving into this book, that God will just drop things by his spirit or he'll do things, and he does that somewhat, but you will never fully know God unless you give your heart to this book. You can have a heart for God, but the heart comes alive when you get a head for God because this is a gift God gave us that we would know who he is and know his heart and his ways and how he thinks and how he acts and what he feels. And so Ezra knew that, so he dedicated his heart to know God through the study of his word. And I'm encouraging you as Crossview Church to dedicate 2021 to know God through the study of his word. If there's ever been a time for the people of God to know God through the study of his word, this is the time. This is the year where we have to know who God is and what he is like. Some of you are saying, well, I don't know exactly how to study the Bible. How would I do that? If you go to our website, we have a resource page. You click on that. I wrote a one-sheet, simple format on how to study the Bible. I encourage you to get a study Bible that will help you. It'll teach you what the Bible says and what it means. And I have a list of three or four of them on there that are excellent study Bibles for you to get. I encourage all of you to buy a study Bible for 2021 and walk through that thing of how to study the Bible. I give you a step-by-step process for 15 minutes a week. You can study the Bible. I'm talking beyond your devotional times with God, if some of you do that, to clear out 15 minutes a week to know God through the study of his word. Who among us doesn't have 15 minutes a week to know the living almighty God? 15 minutes a week, you walk through this sheet to know God in his word. I even tell you where to start and how to walk through it. So I don't have time to dive into it, but please see our resources page and download the PDF, How to Study the Bible, and be people in 2021 who determine in their hearts to know God through the study of his word. So Ezra learned the word. The second thing Ezra did is he lived the word. Look at verse 10. Ezra had determined his heart to study the law of the Lord, to learn it, and then obey it, to live it out. In fact, the original language, there isn't an it there. It just says obey. It's just plain as day. Live it out, obey, do the word, practice the word, carry it out. Not only do you learn the word, you must live the word. You see, this is what gives you a life of freedom. This is what gives you a life of transformation. This is what gives you a life that is blessed. So many people think if I live and obey what God says in his word, I'm going to miss out on all this stuff that I have in front of me. Nothing could be further from the truth. This is where you get a freedom. This is where you get blessing. People ask all sorts of questions about the Christian faith, and there's nothing wrong with that. We should ask lots of questions. But people get all caught up in things like, if God is a loving God, why is there evil? And why is there suffering? They come up with all these. Here is what you need to know. The people who know God through the study of his word and obey what he says have a blessed life where the hand of God is upon them. The people who blow God off Though on the outside things look good, always have a struggle of inner turbulence inside of them. 
Christians who blow God off always have this struggle of inner turbulence inside of them. I'm telling you, after 25 years of pastoral ministry, and this is what is true, the people who study and know God through his word and live it out have this blessed life. That's the biggest apologetic, the biggest evidence you need. And a blessed life doesn't mean absence of sorrow and pain. It doesn't mean if you give yourself to learn it, live it, and pass it on, you're never going to experience difficult things. That's not true. But the hand of God will be on your life, and the hand of God will be with you that can carry you through anything you experience in life. The Bible has so much more to say about living it out, even versus learning it has more to say about obeying it than studying it. That's why I'm going to tell you, don't study this if you have no intention of obeying it. I think this is where we see a breakdown in the church of Jesus Christ in our country today. We tend to echo culture and let things around us shape who we are more so than the word that we hear when we come in here on Sunday morning. We have to change this. There's almost like this dynamic, this cool thing for Christians that if, if they get really authentic and, and expose their sin and, and partake in sinful things to show people, look how authentic and cool I am, that we'll win an audience. Nothing can be further from the truth. We're losing our influence when we do that. We want to live a life where the hand of God is upon our life because we're knowing who he is through his word and we're obeying it and we're living it out and when we do that, we start to see change. When we're obeying God's word and putting it into practice, it doesn't mean perfection. When we blow it, when we screw up, which we will, we examine ourselves, we ask for forgiveness, we repent, we ask God for forgiveness and people we wrong for forgiveness, and we move forward to live out God's word. Winford Neely, who's a theologian and pastor, whose uh, commentary on this passage helped me greatly, he told a story about an interaction he had with his daughter. He had a three-year-old daughter at the time who's now an adult in her 40s, and when she was three years old, he had a discipliner, he had a spanker for uh, something she did, and he did that. And then he found out later that she didn't do that thing that he disciplined her for. She was innocent. She didn't do it. And so he went into her room, and she was still crying, and he got down on his knees, and he said, Honey, I have to ask for your forgiveness. I'm sorry, I, I didn't know you didn't do that, and I shouldn't have disciplined you. Will you please forgive me? And this little girl at the time probably couldn't put together in her head all that was going on, but now in her 40s, she still remembers that moment, and she says to her dad that she remembered in that moment, and she's had time to process that and look back on that, she said, what it taught me is that you were a man who submitted to the authority of this word, and being right before God was more important than your personal pride. See, that's what it looks like when we obey God's word. We need to be people who learn it and who live it. And finally, number three, Ezra passed on the word. Look at verse 10 again. He studied the law of the Lord. He obeyed it. The last part, he teached its statues and ordinances in Israel. He taught the word of God. He passed it on. Now you're saying, well, wait a minute. I don't teach. You teach. You're the pastor. No, I'm saying you teach. You teach. You teach it in your sphere of influence wherever you go. You may not have a pulpit. 
You may not stand in front of a group of people like this, but you are called to teach the word of God, to pass it on. You learn it, you live it, and you pass it on to others. You must teach the word of God in order to be a fruitful disciple and have God's hand upon you. And teaching the Bible is always for the purpose of transformation, not information. To become more and more like Jesus. That's why we teach. What do we teach? We teach the Bible. We teach the things we're learning in God's word. Not our experiences, not our opinions, not our thoughts. One of my concerns for the church today is many Christians are blowing off time in God's word and then people come to them to ask for advice and instead of giving them advice from a heart that is seasoned in God's word, a heart that's saturated in God's word, a heart that regularly pours out to learn and know God, they get advice off the top of their head or something they think out of their own senses. And it leads the church of God astray. We need to be a people who are learning God's word, who are living God's word, and who teach and give advice and counsel and encouragement through God's word being absorbed in us and through us. What does that look like? Well, in your family, maybe it looks like you gather around on a Sunday night and you say, hey, let's talk about what was talked about Sunday morning. What do you think that means? What stuck out to you? That's teaching God's word. Maybe for your coworkers or your friends, it's jotting a note and saying, hey, here's something I've been thinking about. And you write it out in a way that they can understand that's, that you take a principle. You don't have to give chapter and verse. You can just say, here's the principle that's going on. Maybe in work, they're telling you you should lie and do this. And you say, you know what? I'm not going to lie. I'm going to tell the truth because if you don't tell the truth, you lose all trust. Truth is what matters. And you stand that's what it looks like to do those things. We learn it, we live it, we pass it on. If you want to have the hand of God on your life, you have to study it and learn God's word to know who he is. You have to obey and live it out. You obey and live it out, and then finally you teach and you pass it along to others. So how do we do that? How do we get to that place? I'm going to invite you to consider three, doing three things to kick off 2021 to do this. First of all, as Chris announced, we have our life groups kicking off this next session. Uh, we have three sessions throughout the year of life groups, uh, fall, winter, spring. Our winter session is going to kick off in a couple weeks. I'm really excited about our life group ministry. There's no better place for you to get training, no better place for you to develop as a person who learns it, lives it, and passes it on than a life group. So if you're not in a life group, I encourage you, for 2021, sign up. There's people in the back, as Chris said, who will help you at the Cross Connect. If you have any questions, they can help you get plugged into a life group. Today, sign up starts, so please consider doing that. Second, I'm going to ask you to die to this mission. I'm going to ask you to die to the mission. Make this the ambition of your life, to learn it, live it, and pass it on. In doing so, you will become a person who loves God, loves others, and serves the world. Die to all other agendas and ambitions in your life and make your life ambition to learn and know God, to live out what he's telling you, and to pass it on to other people. Make this your be-all, end-all. In the end, you'll be grateful and you'll be blessed if you do this. Thirdly, I'm going to encourage you to not be distracted from anything in this mission. You know, if you don't live your life on mission and you don't have a purpose for your life, someone's going to give you one. 
and you're going to live out the purpose they give you. We are created to live out a purpose. And if you don't intentionally live out the purposes God has for you, someone else will give you their agenda to live out. So many people live out an agenda from extended families. So many people live out agendas from career aspirations. So many people live out agendas from the world and different voices. Live out this agenda from God that we see in his word to learn it, live it, and pass it on. Because when you die in this life, and the Bible tells us the minute you die here, in seconds you'll stand before Jesus Christ. And when you're standing before him, What you're going to want to have is your primary agenda. What you just lived in the earthly life was to be a person that knew God because you studied his word, that lived it out and worshiped God through the living out of the obedient life and to pass it on to others. That's what you're going to want. That's what you're going to want your life to be marked by. When you stand before God, you're going to want your life as it's under full examination to be one that learned who God was and knew him that lived out what he said and passed it on to others. And in the meantime, while you're still here on earth, if you purpose to do that, to learn it, live it, and pass it on, you know what's going to happen? The hand of God will be upon your life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the gift of your word that shows us your heart, that shows us your ways, that instructs us, that helps us. And as we come into this new year, God, I pray that you would create within us by the power of your spirit. We can't do this on our own, and we acknowledge that. We are weak, we are broken, we need your help. But would you create as a gift of grace to Crossview Church that we would become a people who would know you because we learned what you're like from your word. Would we become a people that would live that out and obey it, that it wouldn't just be head knowledge, but it would transform our lives to be more like Jesus? And could we be a people who would pass it on, who would tell, who would give reason, who would be distributors of truth in a world that's dying to know what truth is? God, you've called us for such a time as this. Would you meet us in this place and help us to wrap our arms around this mission? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand.